We want to remind everyone we have social media exclusive content like our two-minute drill as well as other video content. To find that, please make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok for more. And we are kicking off episode number six here on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. I am Jason Duet, and I'll be joined shortly by head coach Frank Monick. And we have a great show for you tonight. We're going to recap week five in the LHSAA, some great ball games. We're going to preview some week six matchups. We're going to talk LSU, Tulane, Saints. And we're going to have special guest Tulane offensive coordinator Slade Nagel joining us, as well as coach talking about academic progress ratio. So before we get into any deep dive, we want to go ahead and take a moment to thank our title sponsor, Ocardo and Dufresne Law Firm, your go-to River Parish lawyers. So coach, we want to go ahead and bring you on. And before we get started, I want to tell you congratulations on being in part of the 2024 Louisiana Hall of Fame class. And, uh, just congratulations, and it's a statement to everything that you've done as a coach on and off the field, and I can't think of a better person for that to go to. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you saying that, Jason. I'm letting someone like Drew Brees share the stage with me, too. <laughs> I, don't uh, know what he's, I don't know what he's done, really, you know. but <laughs> uh, I mean, he can learn a thing or two from you, Coach. <laughs> So um, we do want to go ahead and jump into our first segment of the night, which will be LHSAA football prep talk. And, Coach, before we dive into some of these recaps, we do have to talk about this vote, right? The vote that has been has been looming overhead like a dark cloud, kind of waiting to see what's going to happen, how the playoffs are going to play. And they finally defined what Select is, and they're going to keep it in a similar system as what they had last year. What are your thoughts on that? Is this beneficial to the game itself and and the sport itself in Louisiana? It does. I mean, when you look at the, the, the information that came out of the Superdome last year with the eight championship games, they all were very competitive games. There were not any real, real blow, blowout games in it. Even leading up to that time, they made the brackets somewhat a little smaller and in some cases, but yet it were competitive brackets and not everybody was in the playoffs. So I think by having eight champions rather than nine. Now, again, I don't know if it's over, but they will retain the structure they had last year. But then in January, there will be some a lot, a lot of rhetoric and uh, there will be a lot of back and forth about exactly what's going to happen per sport in each class. So I think that would be very interesting, but I'm really, really tickled to death to see it. I mean, there are a lot of people that didn't want to see someone like Carr be on another side of their bracket. I mean, there are some people that would benefit from it. I looked at one of the brackets, for instance, and it's really, really very, very weak, and some people have a very good chance there. So you can tell that they voted for this particular uh, process. And what it was, all it did is just define it basically what, what the real meaning of select would be from here on out. Uh, now, whether that changed in January, that's another thing. But for right now, we'll go with, with, with the same plan as we had last year on a number of people in the playoffs and, and that same structure with eight championships in the Superdome. Just one more confusion to put on to another day, right, Coach? We'll wait until January, and we'll we'll have this whole discussion again, and we'll have to redefine everything again. So Get your boxing gloves ready. Yeah, for that period. That would be tough. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and take a look at some of our recaps. In our first matchup, we had Riverside defeating Country Day 44-14. to Riverside, a very powerful, small school ball club, and again, proving their power as over uh, a country day ball club that has talent, has skill, but just not quite on the level of Riverside. The second leading rusher in the state, and, and, and really, really good back, and uh, well coached, coached Roussel, coached the offensive line himself, and well rounded team. So, their team to reckon with, I think that their sixth ranking is, is not. Is, is not as good as I think that they really are. I think they're one of the one first or second team in the, in the state in their class. 
Definitely could be part of that discussion. And our next matchup, we had St. Charles taking on Vanderbilt Catholic. St. Charles won 30-13. to Coach, I attended the ball game. I didn't think the score was uh, – if it felt like it was a wider margin than that, St. Charles ran the ball very effectively. Somebody you know by the name of Jackson Monica had a heck of a game receiving the football. St. Pierre passed the ball extremely effective. But a big turning point was at the end of the first half when they were backs were against the wall after giving up an uncharacteristic kickoff for a touchdown against Coleman. Uh, their backs are against the wall, and they forced a turnover. So yeah. I think that was the, really the turning point in the game. Right, and I don't know that. And they had a block punt at the end. You know, Kyle Cannon, I think a prospect at a linebacker, he had a block the block a punt, and that was big for a safety in that ball game. But I, I do agree with you. Uh, I think that the game, and Coach St. Charles really uh, in the fourth quarter subbed. And, uh, and then they, there was a late touchdown that uh, Vanderbilt scored on, on their second unit. But really, I think the game was in hand early. Uh, classic St. Charles football, uh, kick off the ball. They try to bounce it. They, they knocked him down at about 15. Defense goes three and out, then the offense goes in on a short, short few scores. Classic uh, SEC football and a big, solid win. Couldn't draw it up any better yourself, huh, Coach? Yeah, amen. Ben Brady <laughs> St. Pierre continues to, to do well, and, and Jackson, my grandson's had a, a good night receiving the ball and, and stuff like that. So I think that, you know, I, I think they're, they're getting better. They're well rounded football team and uh, a team to contend with. Definitely a formidable force in that bracket, uh, regardless how you chop it up with you high now being in their side of the bracket. Uh, in our next matchup, we had Jesuit taking on St. Aug. Maybe a bit of a surprise to some people, this young Jesuit squad winning 13-6 to over a very talented St. Aug ball club. We had Coach Manali on just a week ago. I'm sure he's very proud of his ball club fighting back after a lot of adversity this season and winning this ball game. The quarterback, Perez, is really, really good. He's a big, tall guy, but he had over 100 yards rushing himself. And their, their quarterback design runs, it's almost like having a Wildcat guy back there. And, uh, and, and St. Aug uncharacteristically turned over the ball uh, several times, had a lot of penalties in the ball game. Uh, they let Jesuit hang around. If you let them hang around with a good defense, uh, uh, you, you have an opportunity to lose the game. And uh, St. Aug is talented, but, but Jesuit was very, very resilient in that ball game. came away with it. That's a huge, huge upset. In our next matchup, we had Rummel taking on Scotlandville. We said that both teams were kind of struggling coming in. And Romo found their way. 42 to 12 victory for the Raiders. Another loss. I, I got to hear an interview from Coach uh, Monica on the radio, and he said that Berg is now out as well. I mean, that totals up to what, nine, 10? It, it feels like the mesh unit at this point, Coach. It's, it's really disheartening to see a ball club suffer that many injuries, but hats off to them for not letting that be an excuse and win this ball game handily. All right. And, and the quarterback threw for two touchdown bugles. He, he threw for two touchdown passes and he had a real fine running back. And he's had, again, had another hundred yard game by the name of Martin. And he's a, he's a quality, quality running back. Big win. As you said, they needed that one uh, because they got another tough one. You know, when you play in the Catholic league, uh, there's no, there's no rest. And so you have to get ready and, you know, have that short memory and uh, turn the page and, and go on from there. And they're not going to feel sorry for you. Uh, that only thing that matters is, is what's on your jersey. They're not going to feel sorry for you about your injuries. There are no bye weeks or gimme wins in the Catholic League, and they're going to take on Curtis, and we'll talk about that game a little bit later. In our next matchup, we had Carr defeating Brother Martin 19-7. to uh, Brother Martin's defense plays some solid football, although I heard an interview from uh, Coach – and he said for Carr, and he said, you know, uh, he was not happy at all with his performance of his offense. He was very disappointed. And, Coach, when do you know to 
either chastise a team or say, look, these are things we need to work on. At what point do you know that you need to give your team a swift kick? Because it's it's it definitely is a delicate balance of when you need to be harsh, when you need to be reassuring, and when you need to motivate your team. How do you well, decide that? I think I think that the bottom line in this particular ballgame, I know Coach Brown was probably disappointed, but give credit to Brother Martin and Coach Bodie for, for a game plan. They, they led they led the game at halftime. And and uh, but you know Carr came away with a, with a tough win, and they give always give the uh, I think always prepare your team for their other team's best effort. You always prepare for their team's best effort. What if they play their best? If they play their best, you have a chance to beat me. On the flip side of it, I think as a coach, when you go into a ball game, you have to know when to admonish them and make sure you correct the act and not the kid. And I think it's very important you keep coaching and correct the act and not not the kid himself. You don't mention his name. But I want you to put your foot here, your hand here. This way, you, this is where your eyes should be. Uh, and a lot of kids don't play, don't play with their eyes, and they don't think. So I think the bottom line is the coach. You need to get their attention. And some weeks, some weeks, no matter what you say, they're not, they're not paying attention. And all of a sudden, that's when you you, you get yourself uh, set up for uh, some kind of upset. And one of the monikers I, I use all the time in my life is I'm not sure if you were the first one to use it or if it was Coach Wayne Stein, uh, head coach of St. Charles, would always say it. I know I heard him say it a bunch. Listen to what I say, not how I'm saying it. And okay. that's a big thing to pay attention to as a player as well, to know when you're being coached and don't worry about how the volume that's being told to me at. Listen to the information. I think that's one thing that players these days need to kind of learn and understand as well. Exactly. Exactly. In this next matchup, Coach, I got a chance to call this game, and it was a phenomenal ball game up there with some of the greats that I've gotten to watch uh, you call, whether I was on the sideline as a reporter or a player. Holy Cross defeats John Curtis 42-41. to This is an offensive juggernaut effort between both ball clubs. What it all boiled down to is John Curtis goes up early on. Holy Cross finds a way to battle back. Late in the game, John Curtis said, we're going to melt this clock. We know that they have a ton of D1 talent. We're going to melt the clock. They boil it down to one minute. They squib kick it because they're afraid to give the ball to the athletes in the back. And on uh, Holy Cross, drives down the field, converts on a fourth down, has seven seconds, chucks it in the end zone down down uh, seven points, scores on a, on a bobbled pass, and then goes for the throat, the win on the two-point conversion and wins. Unbelievable ball game. And, this is a statement win for this Holy Cross ball club. They have never beaten John Curtis, and to be fair, not many teams in the state have done so. But, Coach, they they have to be considered a legitimate threat to be state title contenders after this win. I mean, this is a very impressive win against a really good John Curtis ball club. I saw him a week earlier, and I don't. I, I was trying to ask myself, how can they stop Curtis? You know, and I don't know if they did. But the bottom line, you saw their offense was very, very, very good. They got two good receivers on the outside. The quarterback, Canatel, is very, very uh, efficient. He throws a beautiful pass and stuff like that. And he's a gamer. So when you got that kind of guy with that kind of moxie, I mean, you can win a lot of ball games. And for a team that didn't win many district games in the last last few years, here they are sitting at, at 2-0. and and a challenge, but of course, the Catholic League is, is still the Catholic League, and uh, is still a meat grinder of a league. And uh, with this big win, they got to be careful not to pat themselves on the back too much. They just need to continue. But uh, I was really, really surprised at the at the overall score. I didn't think that they could score that much on John Curtis because their defense has always been very, very sound. And uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that uh, they're going to work on that. But yet again, uh, hats off to Coach Watney for, for turning around that program in just a short period of time. 
Coach, can you relate to this experience where you're trying to turn around a ball club? In in St. Charles, for example, a moment, a game, a situation where your team won and you said, man, we've, we've come a long way from where we started and I really see the light through the woods, the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, years ago, probably my first year there, we had only won about three games or so, and we played a team that was number two in the state, and uh, it was Christian Life at the time, and we were able to beat them at home, and I think that that led into the next season to have a real fine because we saw a real good sophomore class, and we knew once that, that group got there, but that win was very, very important, and we did it at home against a kid that was going to the quarterback that was going to Louisville, uh, Louisville. And uh, that was a big win, a big momentum game, and it kind of got us over the hump and started to say, well, maybe we can win here. Thanks, Coach. And let's go ahead and take a look at some of our previews. We have a, a ton of great games to get to, a lot of them sitting in the Catholic League. Brother Martin sits at 3-2, and two, takes on Jesuit 2-3. and three. You have to feel like Jesuit has some momentum. They get a win over a really good ball club in St. Aug. Brother Martin maybe kind of reeling after that loss, but again, had a solid defensive effort against a good car ball club. We know Jordan West is a talented back. Jesuit's going to have to find a way to contain him, but hey, they found a way to contain a lot of athletes on St. Aug last week, so all bets are off with this game. I agree. Uh, that's a great matchup. It's been for years, and when Jesuit plays Brother Martin, uh, they have similar type of football team and similar type of programs. Uh, they're two of the biggest schools in and two of the biggest schools in the Catholic League and himself as far as enrollment. Uh, they'll both be well coached. They'll, they'll be they'll be a battle. They'll definitely go to fourth quarter. They'll be a bit surprised to see this and go to overtime. We know that big big physical defensive front of Brother Martin is going to try to give them headaches. We'll see if they're able to do just that. In our next matchup, we have Rummel taking on John Curtis. Rummel comes in at two and three, getting that win after playing a, a Scotlandville team that's had a bit of a rough go. Curtis. It took a tough loss, something that they don't take very often is a loss against Holy Cross. We know the amount of athletes that Curtis has. Uh, Michael Turner at wide receiver, again, he'll get some carries and a really solid quarterback in Bruno, a three-year starter type of guy. But Rommel maybe finding their footing. It's going to be a, a tough uphill battle, but they've got to find a way to control the football because I watched it a week ago. They can Curtis has the ability to melt the clock or put up points really quickly. It's it's a matter of what they choose to do. Your defense has to step up in this game. I, I think Curtis had veer offense that their run is it's gonna be hard on Rumble to, to to stop that offense. And I think it's important that they, they try to force some turnovers along the way and hopefully their offense, as you said, could control the ball a little bit. And uh, the, the quarterback for Curtis is about to find the throws I've seen him have over over the years. Plus, they got the people to go with it. So it's good. It's good. And you know, you you face the wounded Curtis, and and that's not a good time to face them. You know, coming off that coming off that loss because they'll be back. I mean, you know that you know what they're all about. You know about their character and, and what they have to play for. And for Rumble, I mean, they're trying to get there, so they're trying to get some some guys healed up. But uh, I think some of these guys are, are out for the year. But I think the Coach Monica's got a big task in front of him just to slow this Curtis team down. Jaden Martin's going to have to have a big day for the Raiders to have a shot in this ball game. And Buggage did a pretty good job operating the offense. He's going to have to continue moving forward to hit his targets like Ruben Ramirez on the outskirts. We'll see if that trend continues of them winning. In our next game, we have Riverside taking on St. Martin's Riverside 4-1. and one. St. Martin's is unbeaten. We know the talent that St. Martin's has at running back. They have Harlem Barry. An exceptional back, rushed for 1,500 yards or just shy of 1,500 yards a year ago. Riverside's defense is stout. They have a, a really nice-sized defensive front, and it goes both ways. Some of the guys on all, 
on the offensive line are pretty solid, stout guys as well. But look, they got Caleb Brumfield, uh, who was a, a solid player last year, was All-State, a kid that I coached by the name of Jaden Butler, who is a solid, intelligent football player, going to play defensive back for this ball club. Riverside's a scary ball club, and I think we'll see if Barry and this offense can move the football effectively against this Riverside team. Uh, don't be surprised if the Riverside running back outshines him uh, because he's got to go – he's got to go – Barry's got to go against Riverside's defense. Coach Lashley will have them ready. And another twist of this story, Coach Dyser was the head football coach at Riverside just two years ago. And last year he was the assistant coach at, at St. Martin. Now he's the head coach there. So this game's going to have a lot of implications there. Uh, I don't see – I really don't see St. Martin um, uh, getting upper hand in this thing because Riverside is sound. I thought they're going to be jacked up for it. And when you look at the districts and who they have left to play, this is the game between these two schools. I think after this, both teams are settled down into, into the opponents are just not as competitive as this game. So it's going to go down to that. But I don't see, I don't see um, how it, it, this team will match up against Riverside. I think Riverside will be a stronger football team on both sides of the football. Coach, you've, Coach, many years, and I'm sure you've had schedules where, by no fault of your own, the backstretch, maybe it's like this, a week six, a week seven game, is the climax. And then you have a bit of a downward spiral at the end in terms of the competition you're playing. How do you keep a team focused after this game, regardless of the outcome, moving forward when it's not a big matchup, maybe at the end of your calendar, that you're looking to build towards? It's a matter of getting yourself better. How do you keep a team motivated and focused? You do things differently. Well, number one, you keep working on fundamentals. You don't let those fundamentals, you go back and you start working. Maybe you might take a day and say, this, today is like day one of camp. And we're going to work this. We're going to work tackling. We're going to work blocking. We're not even going to do much teamwork. We're just going to do a lot of fundamentals. Even in special teams, we're going to break down, do a lot of drill work for special teams rather than doing the team aspect of it. So you got to keep, the, you got to keep them sharp and keep them interested in making sure because fundamentals never leave you. Uh, the emotion will leave you after that kickoff, but the fundamentals never leave you. So I think it's important that you keep going back to those things. And that's the co coaches call those daily musts. A daily must means what do you do every, every day? And those daily musts, I think they must be repeated or, or else that they'll get away from you. Absolutely coach. And moving on to our next matchup, we have Holy Cross who is unbeaten and they're going to take on St. Aug who is coming off of a loss to Jesuit. St. Aug has a, a tough task ahead of them. Uh, this is a Holy Cross team that has a lot of momentum, but you've mentioned it many times before after your highest high country, lowest low. This St. Aug team has a ton of talent. They have a really solid quarterback in Dawson Simmons. They have a, a really solid defensive tackle in Jaquim Stewart and even defensive end in Warren Roberts who can put some pressure on Canatella maybe. Uh, Holy Cross has played really good offensive football. Their offensive line has held up. But this is still a talented group on defense that St. Aug is going to bring to the table. And there's no question. I think that, one, they're going to have to really do something about their penalties. I know they had over 100 yards of penalties in, in the ball game, and uh, don't know exactly what they were. I'm sure that they, they stressed that this past week and also have to cut down on the turnovers because I know they had some crucial turnovers against Jesuit a week ago. And, and if they do, it could be a tough night for Holy Cross because talent-wise, they would have a little bit more speed on the field than Holy Cross. But again, Holy Cross's offense is the difference maker, so they're going to have to control the ball and really keep that offense off the field. And our next matchup, we have Bell Chase taking on Newman. Bell Chase is at 3-1. and one. Newman is at 4-0. and oh. We've mentioned the athleticism of friend, that quarterback for Newman. But look, 
Will Loisel. Loisel is also a, a tight end committed to play college football. He's been making plays, and uh, he's not the only guy. You also have Will Dara, who is a really solid defensive end, maybe not getting his name called as much as some other guys. And Peter Loop been a solid receiver. But they're going to have to slow down this bell chase rushing attack, courtesy of Jaden Voisin. Uh, again, another guy who rushed for 1,800 yards a year ago. He's a guy to keep an eye on, and Newman will definitely be keying in on him defensively. I know Coach Myers, he's not going to change anything for any game and any team. He's going to run the football, and they're going to be sound with it. The, the offensive line, will it will make sense. They will have a hat for a hat, and for offensive football, if they have success, that's what you want. You don't want any free hitters. And, uh, you know, sometimes a simple is really, really good because when you keep it simple, kids play harder. When, when they're confused, all of a sudden they don't play as hard because they slow down and they stop. So it's important that it's important that, that you keep it simple enough that it's not what the coaches know, what those players know. And um, I think I talked to Coach Stewart today. He's concerned because they can shrink the game and not give him as many at-bats that he'd like to have. So uh, And this will be, this will be a, a pretty good test for Newman because I think this is one of the better Newman teams that – that the coaches had there, they can run it, they can throw it, they can play a little defense, and they've done a, a great job of improving their special teams. And they definitely need to make sure their special teams are on point with having that future date with St. Charles Catholic. Abbeville will take on St. Charles Catholic as we talk about them. Abbeville comes in 4-1. and one. St. Charles is unbeaten. I'm not going to talk about the athletes at St. Charles. We've done that so many times. I will say I think the unsung hero has been the offensive and defensive fronts. Experienced groups, and they play like it. They've done a fantastic job, but they're going to have to be ready. This is an experienced Abbeville ball club. Eight guys returned offensively, six defensively. They like to run the football, a similar style to St. Charles, and they have a very senior-laden offensive line returning. Uh, and Coach Stein reminded me this week, he said that, you know, Abbeville last year when they played them had a 20-play drive, and they kept their offense off the field. So I think that's going to probably be their game plan this week is go forward on third and fourth down, keep the ball, keep it away from St. Charles because St. Charles' offense is pretty explosive. They got Daniel Joe that can, can catch the deep ball. Brendan Craig has been incredible as a tight end. Had some big, had some big plays. They got a couple of running backs that Willis has been really explosive. Uh, Brady St. Pierre's had a fine season so far up, up to this point. On defense, you got Kyle Cannon as a linebacker. That's really good. But as secondary with Braden Bertucci out there as a, as a safety, kind of keeps things in order. Uh, they got, you know, a, a Caden on, on one of the corners. And, and then uh, that, that they just have so much speed, I think, in the secondary that St. Charles has not had in a long, long time. So, um, But, you know, if a powerful football team will negate that speed, and I think that's what Abbeville is going to have to do to, to shrink the game, get it to the fourth quarter. But, uh, but yeah, I think on the other end, I think St. Charles is going to have a pretty good plan. And if a team is one-dimensional, it's going to be very, very hard for them to, to defeat St. Charles if they're one-dimensional. Barrios also made a nice play at the at the defensive back position with that interception. He, he seems like a very typical St. Charles guy, a bit undersized, but very scrappy. And feisty, he had three uh, big interceptions already this year. He really yeah, has. You're right. He, again, he's, he's a playmaker that we kind of kind of goes untalked about, but definitely made an impact in the game on Friday night. And now we're going to go ahead and change gears, Coach, and take a look at some college football, uh, some good and some bad. Good being our first matchup as Tulane was able to defeat UAB 35-23 to in that matchup. Coach, it was a bit closer than what the score showed. But Tulane again showing their power rests down the down the stretch, making the plays that they need to, including some big time calls by the coaching staff, and they 
they just remain to be, in a word, consistent on, on all phases of the game. But they, that's not their defense didn't play as well as they're capable of playing. In fact, that's why they went for it on that big fourth down. They threw deep on the fourth down and 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 uh, in, in five uh, from their from their well, the, it was the plus thirty yard line. But uh, coach decided not to punt the ball. It was thirty two yard line to be exact, and they went for it and threw a touchdown pass in the end zone. That was a huge call because I don't know if they were comfortable giving UAB the ball back because they hadn't stopped them all day. Early in that ball game, UAB was on the on the one foot line. And they were in a quarterback sneak. The ball popped up and went in the end zone. And uh, Tulane got a touchback out of it. So there's always got to be a little luck somewhere during the season. But I don't think that they played up to par. But they came out of there with a, with a victory. And I, I think, you know, a credit to them because, you know, when you don't play your best and you still get a win, you can always build off of a win uh, better than you can off of a loss. Coach Tulane has a bye week this upcoming week. They're going to take on Memphis the following Friday. But I'm going to relate this back to high school football real quick because I, do you think that they should maybe start the season a little bit earlier in the state of Louisiana and allow them to have a bye week during the course of the season? Well, no. I, I really don't like bye weeks at, at all. As a coach, I tell you what, what happens in a bye week. The kids lose their focus and they lose intensity. It's amazing that coming off a of bye week is maybe in, in, in NFL is different, maybe in college is different. A lot of people don't know how to handle a, a bye week. Do you do you practice in the middle of the week? Or do you give them off the Monday and Friday, or you just give them off Monday and Tuesday and practice at the end of the week? A lot of people. There's still a lot of talk about what's the best way to handle bye weeks. As soon as a bye week occurs, coaches call one another and say, "What are you doing this week?" And they call one another and they call successful coaches and say, "Well, this is what we do." Uh, but uh, on the high school level, I don't think bye weeks are, 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 are any good whatsoever because you need to have control of those young kids and keep their mind on football or else if they get away from it, they will not play with that same emotion on the next ball game. Thanks, Coach. And speaking of emotionless seeming at times football, um, LSU took on Ole Miss and lost 55-49. Offense played – out of their mind, I thought Daniels did a great job, but defensively it was a uh, train wreck, to say the least. Tackling, not not there. Secondary was non-existent. Uh, and it, it seemed like you could also put some finger pointing at the, the coaching. Uh, yep. In big moments, playmakers weren't on the field. Weeks was missing at times. Perkins was missing at times. I don't. I didn't quite understand what they were doing. Uh, but they they don't have a long time to figure out what they need to do and what adjustments they need to make with Missouri next week. Well, I, I, you know, a lot of credit goes to Ole Miss's offense, but they didn't do anything elaborate. Uh, what I couldn't get over the space on the running game and even in the passing game, it wasn't only the catch. You know, and Lou Holtz has always said it's never just the completion, it's to run after the catch. And they allowed runs after the catch. I mean, multiple times had a number of plays over 20 yards in the game, runs and passes. I don't know exactly what was going on there. Uh, there was a couple of times in the ball. I didn't remember I, I was talking about how uh, Jalen Daniels runs too high. And sure enough, he got hit one time in the ball called stuff because he runs straight up. And uh, you would like to see him kind of have a little tilt in the shoulder, especially on, on contact, because that was a blow. The ball would probably come out anyway. Uh, second thing I didn't understand, the kickoff from the 50-yard line after the penalty, I, they squibbed it, and Ole Miss got the ball in the 35, and they, and, they, and they just had a narrow lead at the time. I don't know what they were trying to do there. Did the kicker just miss it? There was no explanation on it. Did, the, or, 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 did they not kick the ball in the end zone, or was it an onside kick? Or did they kick the ball inside the 10? But that was a... That was a for some reason that that kick itself didn't make much sense. It gave Ole Miss a shorter field, and they couldn't stop them to begin with. 
But more importantly, defensively, you saw some guys that discombobulated. They were out of position. They didn't tackle well. I think someone charted it in the paper. They analytics said they had like 59 uh, missed tackles. And you're not winning many ball games like that. And now you have a game against Missouri on the road, a place that they have not played well. Very similar field to Kentucky. Just for whatever reason, LSU didn't. I mean, of course, it was 2020. LSU didn't play great that season. But uh, last time they played Missouri on the road, they lost. And I'm going to tell you, when you look at a team that ranks top 15 in pass offense or it's something along the lines of top 10, top 15, and you have a defense that ranks 117 and you can't tackle, there's there's definitely room for concern. And I think people need to be concerned about this Missouri ball club. I don't I don't think this is a gimme win. I, I don't care what the spread is. I, I'm not touching this. I'm not touching this game with any type of bet because you don't know what team is going to show up, Coach. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I just don't think you fix those defensive problems in, in three practice days. I just Because that's a no, no, you give them off on a Monday and practice Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday very light. And, you, and you're going to travel on Friday. I just don't think you're going to fix that. I mean, I think there's a, probably a, a lot of a preaching going on this week and um, soul searching, probably some team meetings going on this week especially on the on the defensive side. But um, then I'll go back to that. There were a couple offensive series that I'm sure that the, they would love to have back, That especially at the end of the ball game in the fourth quarter, that they didn't perform well. One was having that back in, in the backfield that wasn't a very good receiver. But uh, I look at – I don't think that you fix those problems within a week. So I look for Missouri to have, have a lot of success on the offense and hoping that, again, LSU's offense can out, actually outscore them. But one thing that LSU's – the special teams are still not making any plays. Remember, they, they missed the field goal in this ball game, and their special teams are not doing anything uh, special whatsoever. Remember, Arkansas, they had a fake, a fake field goal against them. So uh, you just like to see them step up their special teams just a little bit more. Coach, a special, a special teams fake after a timeout where the holder was practicing the fake before they ran the play, and they still, did, still couldn't stop it. So – Coach, we're going to go ahead and change gears and take a look at the Saints. And the Saints didn't look too great this weekend either as they dropped their game to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 26-9. to uh, At least one team in Louisiana that we discussed had, uh, had a nice weekend because it wasn't the Saints or LSU. Um, just a, a, a rough performance, Coach, uh, from, from all fronts. Uh, couldn't get anything going offensively, and that seems to be a trend that we've seen. Um, how do they adjust? How do they fix it? Do you think Kamara being back in the offense can help them to move the football more effectively offensively? And how do they get him quickly involved in the game plan? You know, a lot of blame is going on Carr. And I think the credit gets uh, – there's too much credit to give the quarterback and too much uh, discrepancy when he doesn't play well. You know, so he gets the blame for all these little things. But, you know, one, you guys have the guys that – that was a big play in the game with the fullback is wide open on the car, scramble to extend the play. And the guy misses the ball. It was a big play. It would have been a first down. You know what I mean? So some guys, when, when they get the opportunity, have to make that play. I like to see them, you know, on offensively stretch the field a little bit, a little bit more verticals, and use the middle of the field. I think that the better quarterbacks, I go back to Joe Burrow, I go back to Breeze, they use the middle of the field a lot more because there's a lot of space in there, you know, because the sideline is like another person. So, but I do think that's a lot of space. Now, the question is, and I, we talked about this earlier, I think that offensive line, must keep the integrity of the pocket. Now, what does that mean? Even though the, the quarterback is not touched, the, the quarterback has to be able to step up in the pocket and slide up in the pocket with the edge rushes on the outside so he can see the passing lane. If he cannot step up in the pocket, 
then everything's collapsing around him. That's when you have problems. You can't see the receivers. And now we see it from a higher angle, but you got to remember what he sees. He sees something from the ground level. And a lot of six foot six guys with their hands in the air, that's like thrown out of a silo. I don't know if you people know what a silo is, but he's like thrown out of a silo. So I think that the, I think Coach Carmack was a very, very capable uh, guy as for calling the plays. But, the, you know, those plays have to be executed. I like to see him do a little bit more screens to slow down that rush and maybe a couple more, more things, a uh, little innovative. I like to see him be a little bit more innovative with, the, with T- Taysom Hill because rather than him just run the ball all the time, he's certainly good enough to throw it. Yes, and I, I think you're going to have to see them be a little bit more uh, – uh, have to find ways to maneuver around the offense. I know Carr was kind of banged up and trying to figure out a way around dealing with that as well. It, again, they, they have another opportunity this weekend against the Patriots, and, again, you just it's the NFL. There's no, there's no, there's no opportunity to be able to catch your breath. You're going to face a really good defense. And again, as a coach, it's Bill Belichick and his team. You know, it's it's like I mentioned when we talked about playing Alabama. You know, it's Nick Saban. So you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a well-coached team that's going to execute. It's about finding ways to get your playmakers the ball and, you know, playing hard enough, good enough defense to keep them out of the end zone. Yeah, look at, look at Denver. Denver turns around after giving up 70 to turn around and win the football game. You know, look at Miami. Miami scores 70 and end up scoring 20 in the next game. So, you know, I've always said this. You can put all the DBs in one room and you can't pick them out. The difference is to get them to play together and get them to play as hard as they possibly can. So hopefully they can go there and get a W and get, get a streak going. Thanks, Coach. And we're going to go ahead and take our first break. And when we come back, we will have special guest Slade Nagel joining us, offensive coordinator for the Tulane Green Wave. But before we head to break, we want to go ahead and thank our title sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firms, your go-to River Parish lawyers. We'll be back after the break. Samuel Accardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen.
tonight our special guest is with his eighth season with the Tulane Green Wave, holding the positions of assistant coach, offensive coordinator, and quarterbacks coach. I want to welcome on Coach Slade Nagel. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. And how much work goes into game planning, calling plays, and even play design? Because so many people are experts on their couch, but how much work actually goes into it week in and week out? Um, first, thanks for having me on. Um, it, it's a lot of work, to be honest with you. You know, first it starts kind of on our end, the way we started is all scheme based. And, uh, you know, and then you move forward from there trying to fit your players and piece them in the right places to try and get the right players, the balls and and all those kind of things. So it's, uh, you know, it's very tedious and, uh, you know, you only get so many shots at it, so many cracks at it. So you're trying to make sure that that you have the right pieces in the right places and, uh, you know, take full advantage of it once you get out there. Coach, before I get we get too far, tell us a little bit about your background. A lot of, because you've really paid your dues and, and all through the ranks. You were a quarterback in your own right. Yourself as a high school, very, very successful quarterback, but an all-state guy. Please uh, give, give our viewers a little background on, on the, where you came from. And, and especially, I think you had a unique story on, on when you first got hired by Coach Fritz. Yeah, yeah. So I'm from Louisiana. Obviously, my dad, uh, you know, uh, coached in the state and um, was in the FCS ranks for many years, coached at Nichols, coached at uh, McNeese, Northwestern State. So I grew up in Lake Charles, uh, Louisiana. I think I moved there when I was probably fourth or fifth grade. He was an assistant. He was fortunate enough to be at McNeese for like 13 years. And they had some very good years uh, during that time. So I finished my high school uh career and everything there um we were fortunate enough to work together um after college i worked with him at northwestern state we worked for a guy by the name of uh, scott stoker and uh that you know i really enjoyed that that was my first college job really my first job you know uh coaching period and being able to work with him on the same staff was exciting um <clears throat> and then from there i moved uh you know, I coached junior college ball for a couple years in Kansas. I, uh, I've been at Central Arkansas, Texas State. I ended up back at McNeese State for, uh, for four years with Matt Viator, um, and then had the opportunity to come with Coach Fritz here to, uh, to Tulane. So <clears throat> we, um, you know, coached against Coach Fritz uh, while he was at Sam Houston. And at that point in time, I was a special teams coordinator at McNeese, and he moved on and went to Georgia Southern and, I spent two days, you know, one off season going to visit him and talk ball and, and whatnot. And uh, was fortunate enough for him to to reach out and give me an opportunity when he came here. So and been here with him every ever since and enjoyed, you know, every day and every minute of it. And, and uh, really have a lot of respect for him and how he runs the program and learned so much from him, you know, in these last seven and a half, eight years. So right. that's where I'm at. Coach, I really I, I've been in some of your meetings and, and I really I really enjoyed the fact that I can tell you're a good teacher, and I know that you you moved up the ranks mighty mighty quickly. And I can tell Coach Fritz is, you know, I just love your practices, just to watch you guys practice. You were so organized. <clears throat> you make everything count. You know, everything's so accountable in practice. And and uh, I don't know if I've been to uh, better practices, even though I was in college myself for 12 years. And 
but and watched a lot of other practices too, from the Lou Holtzes to the Joe Paternos, and I don't think I've seen a more organized practice than what you guys do under Coach Fritz. I mean, you 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 think about all the little things, and it shows so far because I know that you guys don't have a lot of five-star athletes running around, but it's just yeah. a pleasure to watch you guys work in teach. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, he, uh, you know, coaches, coach has been at it for a while as a head coach now, and he's got so much experience and it's like anything, you know, the, the more years you go at it, the more things you, you know, you learn that, you know, the, the right way or the, the way you like to do it rather than, than things you don't like. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got it pretty much etched in stone, what he likes, he knows what he wants. And, uh, he just does such a great job leading the staff and the players. And uh, I, I think it's a direct re uh, reflection of what you're talking about. So, hey, yes. and I, I tell you what, you run, you know, when you were coaching, heck, you run a great practice. Coach ran one of the best practices I've ever seen, definitely, in, you know, in high school coaching. A lot of respect for you as well, Coach. Well, thank you, Coach. Coach, the other day you guys ran your first touchdown. I thought it was a great design. You got it underneath. <clears throat> you ran the motion and you ran. I don't know if it's a speed sweep. Uh, yeah. Out from underneath the center, and I mean, yeah. you unbalanced. It looked like you unbalanced on TV from what I could see, and then you you hit him out number to that side, and you scored easy. That was a great design on that play. Yeah, it was. Uh, we actually traded the tight end back to the field, and uh, and it, it was it was a speed sweep off a of running wide zone to the boundary, and uh, and handing it to the speed sweep going back to the field, and kind of push crack with the wide out, and brought the tight end around, and uh, you know we kind of felt going into the game. You know that we're fortunate enough. We've got some guys at wideout that have speed and <clears throat> trying to find more ways to get the ball in their hands and let them, you know, be playmakers and help us up, help us out in the run game or whatnot. And we were fortunate. That was uh, number five, a young man, you Keith Brown, that really did a good job for us. We were able to get him on the edge and, and uh, was a big play for us, obviously, to get started. No question, Coach. You, you, you also had a, a touchdown on, on the screen. Well, you faked the screen. You actually faked yeah. the with the wide receiver screen, then the tight end is wide open in the end zone. I thought, again, that was a great design. I appreciate it. it uh, you know, that, that's one we've kind of carried for the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, we we really struggled in the red zone the week before against uh, Nichols. So they did a fabulous job, I thought, on defense. And, uh, you know, we got in the red zone and had a couple turnovers. So we put a lot of focus on it. Uh, you know, always, but extra focus this past week, trying to improve and get better. And, you know, that, that was just one of the wrinkles where that's kind of the zone principle play we have. And we kind of have it where the quarterback can alert it to, you know, a man beater play if you get man. So, uh, you know, it was kind of the right setup and uh, guys did a really good job executing. Yeah, Coach, I, I really enjoyed that screen. You guys ran the screen that was called back for 45. I thought that was a huge, huge play of the game. It yeah. was called back and when they showed the replay of it, even in, in, in real life time, I didn't think the kid was holding. I know if I'd have been on the sideline, I'd have been put in jail on that one. But, uh, but uh, you know, I thought that was a huge, huge momentum play in that, that mm -hmm. ball game. But, Coach, I'm going back now to the fourth down call. I mean, the people are still talking about the fourth down call. But, yeah. you know, uh, I knew I knew you probably would go for it. Uh, but I, did, I never did suspect that you guys were going to go deep on, on the play. But what was the discussion going into that particular play? Well, I'll I tell you, that was Coach Fritz. Uh, and I, I thought, you know, when he suggested it, I thought it was really smart. And, you know, like he said, hey, if we punt it and we punt it into the end zone, we're going to gain 10 to, you know, whatever it was, 12, 13 yards of field position. He goes, 
you know, do you think we can take a shot and, and, and see what we get here? And I said, hey, well, you know, we'll line up and get in 12 personnel. And if we get one-on-ones, that's as good as you can get. And, you know, that was that was kind of the thinking behind it was the risk-reward was worth it. Um, and, you know, you punt it, you punt it in the end zone and, you know, heck, you gain 10 yards or you throw it incomplete, you know, or you got a chance maybe to get a pass interference call or whatnot. So that, that was kind of the thinking behind it. And they, you know, we had made them use their their timeout, so <clears throat> that was part of part of the plan going in as well. So that was a really gutsy call, especially because your, your defense wasn't up to snuff that day, and uh, that was really gutsy. And you guys, I, I've always believed, coach, you have to win with offense. People don't understand what that means. I've always thought <laughs> that you, you know, your defense prevents you. You know, defense is really really good, but offense wins games. And I think you need to you need to be very aggressive, like you guys. And, I've seen Coach Fritz over the years, and you guys have really been aggressive on fourth down yeah. calls um, in, in many games, even against Ole Miss, when you didn't even have your your, your your best quarterback on the field. Yeah, yeah, you know we're we're a huge analytics team, and uh, you know a lot of that goes into it. it. It goes into your production as an offense and your opponent's production as a defense, where you're at on the field, the probability of you know of, of you making it, and you know, and then a lot of it, uh, you know, a lot of it goes into play is, hey, you know, the probability of you making it as well as if you don't make it, then what situation do you leave them in? And uh, I kind of I think that's kind of the trend of college football is going that way. You see more and more people on fourth downs going for it. So it allows you on third down as well to run the ball a little bit more and get it into fourth down situations where you have a chance to go for it. And if you, you know, watching us play, we we try and <clears throat> utilize that quite a bit. In fact, our first scoring drive, I think we had, you know, third and uh, I, I want to say we were maybe third and 16 and we ran a counter play to get it down to like fourth and uh, six or seven and ended up going for it and converting. So that's, you know, that's kind of the trend of where things are going and uh, people are more aggressive. And like you said, trying to, you know, trying to not to leave it in, in uh, the defense's hands or, or per se or let, let the other offenses, you know, get the ball back. So just being aggressive and going after it. Coach, you know, a lot of people and, and didn't know it at first, but uh, when you guys beat USC in the, in the bowl game last year, it was very exciting. I was there. It was, I mean, I've never seen a lot of people that uh, uh, <laughs> that I that I coached were there. I mean, people came out of Woodwork. They were flying in just for that ball game. I and mean, you really, y'all really made Tulane very, very proud. Uh, and the alumni was excited as all get out. And and not, I think afterwards, I think it was it was found out that you were really the guy calling the plays. And then Coach Fritz, after mm-hmm. that, made you the official offensive coordinator. Yeah, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, the entire season last year was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, it, like I said, it starts off when. When you get to work for a guy who has the plan in place and has the program, you know, uh, running running the right way in the right direction, I mean, that makes that makes your job easier. And uh, we had a bunch of good players, and a lot of those guys have carried over to this year. And you know, it, it, it was fun; it really was. And you got you got to give the players credit, you know, for uh, for that entire ball game in the Cotton Bowl. That you know, they never quit. You know, even when things didn't look very good for us and then we were having a hard time stopping them and you know i think we fumbled there in the fourth quarter that uh you know felt really big and and uh but our guys kept fighting and fighting and you know the ball bounced our way a couple plays and uh you know ended up having a chance to win it at the end and then guys made plays yeah coach i was really impressed you guys don't normally turn it over i know saturday was an anomaly because the running backs yeah. lost a couple balls you know 
uh, which yeah. they don't normally do because I know you guys really, really stress ball security. <clears throat> I've watched you guys practice and, and the whole deal. And uh, yeah. one of them was a pretty good hit, but the other guy <clears throat> just kind of dropped the ball. But it was, wasn't it worth the next quarterback <laughs> losing the quarterback sneak and the ball popped up. That was unique, yeah. unique play in itself. Yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, it was, uh, I guess at the time, I can't remember it. You know, I guess we were maybe up by eight at the time or whatnot, but that was a huge play. And, uh, you know, anytime we, we talk about it all the time, you know, trying to win the turnover takeaway margin, us on offense, you know, protecting the football and the defense, obviously trying to get takeaways. And, uh, they're just such, there's such big momentum swings and, uh, you know, it's something that we got to get better at as an offense moving forward. We, uh, you know, two weeks ago against Nichols, we turned it over twice in the red zone through two, two interceptions. And then last week we fumble in the red zone. So, you know, the, those plays, uh, <clears throat> those plays kill you. And uh, and like you said, UAB, that was a huge fumble of, you know, our defense getting it back there and, and negating the score. So that was a huge point and, and big turning point in the ball game for sure. Coach, how many guys do you guys lose next? How many seniors do you have on the team? Um, gosh, going through it. I know on the offensive line we have two, maybe three for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously Michael, uh, the quarterback, is a senior. Um, the running back room is all young. We we a couple of the wideouts, uh, ja- Jaquan Jackson and Lawrence Keys, are seniors. Um, the tight end room is all back. On defense, I want to say all of our entire defensive line, I believe, has the ability to come back. Um, the linebackers, we lose a couple guys in the secondary. I think we, we, both our corners are seniors. So, you know, it's not uh, – there, there's a few spots, but it's not just a ton of guys, you know. Right. Coach, you know, I was really impressed with the article in the paper the other day. I think a lot of people know your dad is still coaching at Zachary. You know, I've yeah. been friends for a long, long time. He's always been recruited to my school and – and we shared a lot of coffee and Diet Coke together, you know. <laughs> and and uh, but you guys, there was an article about a kid by the name of Jenkins that that, that has a hearing or a hearing yeah. impediment that he he he, he can't use. Uh, when I was at Tulane, we had a guy by the name of Mark Benedetto had the same uh, situation. He couldn't hear either, and that was bright yeah. bright in days. But your dad was the one that referred him to you guys. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, uh, Cam Hamilton is the kid's name. And, uh, you know, Cam, he's his second year here. He played for us quite a bit as a true freshman last year. And I think he actually transferred to them, uh, to my dad and them from McKinley. Um, And when he went, you know, Cam's a great kid. I mean, uh, you know, he's a hard worker. He's funny. He's great, great teammate, gets along with everybody. Uh, But I believe when he transferred to Zachary, he was really – I don't know that he actually was even considering playing football and they got him out, uh, you know, on the team and heck his last two years, he ended up, you know, being all district. And I want to say made all state his last year and all that, but I mean, an excellent young man. I mean, he's, he's a six, three and a half, 295 pound guy. That's extremely athletic. Um, and, and I tell you what, he's extremely smart. You know, he's got the, uh, He's got the hearing uh, impairment, but he he does excellent for us. He he, he uh, you know he plays he plays his butt off, and uh, he's just a he's a joy to be around. He really is. He's a great young man for sure. And uh, he, my dad and he have a have a pretty good relationship. So they they uh, you know when my dad comes down, we'll go out and and grab a bite to eat and all those kind of things. Yes, that's a marvelous story, Coach. Uh, tell me a little bit about the our viewers a little bit about the transfer portal. How you guys have benefited from that? Or, or, <clears throat> as, 
maybe it's not not as much as other people, but you certainly I know have, have gotten a lot of good players through the portal. Yeah, you know, it's it's just college football. The landscape of it is so different now, and uh, I mean, guys are are jumping from one team to the next quite often. So <clears throat> I think one thing that uh, and, and coach really you know makes a point of emphasis about this. I think one thing we've done a really good job of is doing our homework. Uh, and really researching guys and making sure that they're good fits uh, for their overall culture of the program rather than just taking guys uh, based off of athletic ability because it's so important or so important to uh, to make sure that uh, the guys you bring in fit in. And I, and I, I tell you, the guys that we have now, they're really, really good people, really good teammates. And, uh, you know, and a lot of them are making contributions and helping our team get better. So, uh, you know, it's, <clears throat> you know, everybody approaches it a little bit different. Some teams are a little heavier, heavier involved with it than others. Um, some on a need basis, but uh, I think, you know, before before anything, I think it's important uh, in our program that guys are a fit and they fit in with, uh, you know, with what we're trying to build as an overall overall team and, and program. So I can see that Tulane being a, a great place for for transfer portal people, coaches, especially as, since you guys have the academic reputation. You're going to get a real, real high character kid in, in most cases. So that should be that should be a big benefit to you guys. Coach, um, you got a big ball game coming up. And I know you guys are open this week. You got a big ball game up at Memphis. And, you know, I can't ever remember us when I was at Tulane really, really playing great up there in that bowl. Yeah. Um, we did play Penn State one year in in the bowl. We lost nine to six. That was in the Liberty Bowl back in 79. But I don't ever remember having great members of Memphis. I hope you guys can have if you can have a better, better opportunity up there. Yeah. Tell us a little yeah. about that Memphis team. You know, they're. I think they're a really good football team, and and, and kind of like you, coach. We haven't had a lot of success since we've been here. You know, we've. It's kind of been a back and forth battle, and uh, the the home team has won quite a few. So you know, that's a challenge for our players and our staff and everybody that we need to. Uh, you know, we need to buckle down and try and overcome that and and have a good showing when we go out next Friday. But the, uh, Memphis as a team, I think, is really good. I think we. I think it's two very similar teams. In fact, I. You know, I told the offense the other day that, you know, when we get when we take the field in, in uh, the Liberty Bowl here in a couple of weeks or, or however many days it is that there's going to be two good teams playing against each other. And it's basically going to come down to who can execute, who makes the least mistakes. And whenever your number is called and the play comes your way, who makes the most plays? And uh, I, I think that'll be the really, really the tell of the ball game, because defensively, they're very good on the front. Um, you know, they got they return guys at linebacker and they're talent, you know, they're talented in the secondary. And, you know, I don't study their offense as much, but from watching them, I know they have a really good quarterback. He's a three year starter. And uh, and those guys, they always do a good job. They've got a lot of pride in the program and have run, won a lot of football games here over the years. So it should be a good one for sure. We're looking forward to it. I bet that's a big, big matchup, Coach. Coach, I had an opportunity to um, to be with Michael Pratt for three summers at a manning camp. He yeah. is a class. He's a class kid, and you can't. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you enjoy coaching him. Yeah, he's great. Mike is great. He's. Uh, I tell you what. What you love best about Mike is Mike is competitive. You know, and he loves football. And uh, you know, when we go out recruiting these days, a lot of times you're trying to judge talent and measurables and this and that. But the guy loves showing up every day. He uh, he comes in extra. I mean, he eats, breathes, 
sleeps football and it's important to him. And he, he's such a good leader that influences and, and, and picks everybody up around him. Um, and then on top of that, he's tough. I mean, the guy, the guy plays through injuries. He, you know, he, he does everything you ask of him. And, uh, you know, it, we're, we're happy that he's our quarterback. I know that. So I wish we could have him for another four years, <laughs> but, uh, but he's been awesome, and I think he's only gotten better and better each year he's been here and uh, class act and, you know, definitely uh, definitely a great leader in our program, you know, on and off the field. Coach, I can't think of it. One last question, Coach. Tell us about your wife and family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my wife is uh, – my wife's doing great. Um, we don't have any kids. Uh, it's just her and I and two dogs. And, uh, you know, I, I, I believe it's going to come out uh, sometime this week. But my wife, she's actually just went through uh, – her aunt has uh, been suffering from kidney disease. And uh, so uh, she went through a bunch of tests like her mom and her sister and um, trying to be a donor. And uh, oh, wow. turned, turned out they weren't – you know, direct matches, but they were, she was able to get into a donor, uh, program. And I guess, uh, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, um, she went up to, they live outside, her aunt lives outside of Philly and went up there and, uh, you know, she was able to donate a kidney for someone else who had a significant other that donated a kidney for her aunt. So she's kind of, she's in recovery right now and all that, but she got back, uh, Friday before we played UAB and, came to the game and doing good and all that kind of stuff. So oh my she, God. Loves, she loves football too. <laughs> <laughs> I bet she has to. I don't, you have, yeah. they have no choice, do they? You have no choice. No, that's right. You bring that's it right. home with you. I know that. So. We're, married, we're married to the same person. I know how that goes. You know? <laughs> Coach, no let, listen, I can't thank you enough because I, what people don't understand, you're, you're really developing a great reputation as the play caller. But it's more than just calling plays. You know, uh, a lot of times you have to, somebody has to put the design down. And the design yeah. has to come from somewhere. And you've done a great job. You and the staff have done a great job <clears> doing that. And uh, we just can't, can't say enough about you guys. I know a lot of people are excited about Tulane football now. And uh, that because of, you, you seem to have the program really, really on stable ground. And, and uh, we, can't, we can't thank you enough for being on the show. And, uh, and good luck. We will be there in the next home, home game for sure. Awesome. Well, thank thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna keep plugging. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, we play a good ball game up in Memphis here in, uh, next week. So go, go deep, go, go deep, coach. Go deep. <laughs> That's right. When in doubt, go deep. Huh? <laughs> coach, thank you so much. Thank you, coach. Yes, indeed. Y'all have a good one. You too. We'd like to thank Coach Slade Nagel for joining us on the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast. We'd also like to thank LSR for being a sponsor of our podcast as well. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Ross's supermarkets. Samuel Licardo Jr. and Ari P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. 
LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. to kick off segment number three here on the let's be frank video podcast but before we get to that we want to make sure we thank our sponsor riverlands insurance for being a part of our podcast since 1972 riverlands insurance services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you your family your assets and your business so we're gonna go ahead and look jump right into the let's be frank segment presented by ulcs and coach today you are going to discuss is the APR still in effect? That's a great question. That I hear no talk and no discussion about this. A couple of years, a few years back, I interviewed for a head coaching job at a couple of universities, and that was a big thing they grilled you on was that the APR. How are you going to improve the APR? And exactly what is that? It's called academic progress rate, which which refers to eligibility and retention of athletes. And the way it used to work, and I'm not really clear on it now. It used to work. You got one point for a kid staying in school and you got one point for eligibility. So and then you take the possible points and you multiply that by a thousand and anything that was below a 930 that there was penalties involved. So any university that fell below, in other words, if a lot of guys dropped out of the program or were no longer there, uh, there was penalties involved. You could lose up to 10 percent of your scholarship each year. Uh, I hear no talk about it. Is it still in, in, in effect? How is the NIL, not the NIL, how is the transfer portal uh, impacted this or does it count when that player transfers school or is it just a wash? Uh, below a 900, the penalties are normally involved, mispractice time that they're not given and scholarships and sometimes loss of a bowl game. But again, I hear no discussion about this. And I remember a few years back, there was a school in, in the state, one of our state schools could not participate in a bowl game because of a low APR. But now, all of a sudden, since the the, the institutions of the, what we have now with the transfer portal, I don't hear much talk about it. So um, the, the supervisor NCAA membership could also be at stake for, for one year or maybe maybe a postseason ban. And that would, so it used to be a way of measuring kids that would to make sure that they try to graduate. And it was a big push by the academians to make sure that the, that kids were really student athletes. But now you don't even hear that term anymore, student athletes, because of the NIL thing. 
uh, where people are making more money than, than the pros themselves and because of the transfer portal. But where has the APR gone? I just don't hear any any reference to it anymore. Coaches don't talk about it anymore. And it's never mentioned on TV. So is it still in effect or not? Thanks, Coach. And those very valid points. We, we mentioned, you mentioned over the phone when we were prepping for the show, and I had to scratch my head for a second. I've, I heard the term years ago, as you mentioned, when there was a bowl, when there was a ban, postseason ban. But I, I don't know the last time I've heard that term used other than our conversation. So uh, I think that's a, a great point to bring up. In our next segment, we have our Blitz the Ball Coach. Segment where, Coach, you're going to discuss what is the purpose of the flip of the coin. Well, yeah, I, this this question came about from what in fact was my brother-in-law and asked because they had a big discussion at the two-lane game the other day about the flip of a coin. Well, the flip of a coin before the ball game, if a team decides to to defer to the second half, that means that they get the choice in the second half whether they want the ball or not. And if not, they, if not, they get a chance to, to pick the side. So when would you not? When would you not? Maybe can you possibly kick off twice in the game? Yes. If a team decides not to not to take the ball in the second half, if I took the ball in the first half, I, I decided not to take it. I might want to choose to win, and maybe in some uh, windy conditions, or uh, maybe it's rain or whatever, or maybe I have a great kicker and I want to try to pin them back deep. So the process is. The flip of the coin takes place prior to the ball game. The captain will call heads or tails. If the, the winner of it gets a chance to take the ball or kick off, the loser of the flip gets a chance to, to pick the side, the, the field. At that time, the officials go to the coaches and say, okay, coach, uh, it's your choice in the second half. What do you want to do? And a lot of people don't know this, but that coach has the choice. Well, naturally, most time, he deferred for a reason because he wants to receive the ball in the second half. So if he, especially if he's down, I get first possession in the second half. But a lot of people don't understand there is an option there. That can a team kick off twice in the game and not not receive the ball? Yes, that's very, very possible, uh, depending upon conditions on, on that particular night. Thanks, Coach. And isn't it possible also if you just select the same thing as the team did before you, that that also could be a possibility? Because there was an LSU game that ha it happened quite some time ago where they selected to either kick or receive the ball after the previous team did and they ended up kicking the ball off twice in that ball game. Have you ever yeah. seen that happen in person? I've seen it happen in person. It happened to us one time years ago when we, we were coaching. And the, we didn't realize what was going on, but the, but the team never did kick off to us. And one, uh, it might be the fact that they don't have a kicker. And, uh, you know, especially in high school, that happens sometimes. You get some of these, these programs that are not really, really deep, don't have a soccer program or whatever. Yeah, I have seen that happen. But, but then again, I think conditions probably prevail in a situation like that with that decision. Thanks, Coach, and we're going to go ahead and move on to our final segment, our Lock of the Week. Coach, we've done pretty good this year, um, better than last year at least, and uh, I think I've only taken one loss. I think you're – I don't want to jinx it. Sorry if I did. But I think you're undefeated so far on the season, um, if, if not close to it. So who do you like this week? I like Iowa. I like Iowa at home. Uh, they have a great tradition over there with the hospital being right behind them. I think they play at a different level. Uh, Iowa's a very, very sound defensive team. Uh, they don't put up a lot of a lot of lights. I mean, the, the, the second digit on the scoreboard is not used very often. <laughs> that light bulb would probably last forever. But the, the bottom line is I think that uh, Coach Ferenc does a phenomenal job of, with the talent that he's got, and they're very, very physical. And um, um, when you go there, you better, you better get ready to play. Yeah, we, we, we mentioned it. I think the, I think the over-under for the score is like, 40 i'd still it's, it's 40 I'd, 45 something like that yes take the under <laughs> take it's iowa football you always bet the under with iowa football um i'm gonna actually go ahead and uh pick a game we talked about earlier 
Kentucky had 14 and a half, like plus 14 and a half. That's that's a really tough. I, I know it's Georgia, but I, I really feel like Vegas is trying to play that lineup. I, I think that's a lot of points. Georgia hasn't been playing fantastic football. I know it's at Georgia, and I made this mistake last year, but I'm hoping the Wildcats will pull through for me, and Leary, like you mentioned, will will, will save me this year um, now, as I'm picking against Georgia. I, I think it's a good pick because I think, again, Georgia's not what they were. And they have not played a great schedule, you know, in terms of that. They've, they've struggled, especially even the other day at, at Auburn. They were they were lucky to win that football game. Yeah, absolutely. Auburn nearly won that football game with a few plays going a different way. It could have easily gone the other direction. But that'll do it here for us. So we want to go ahead and make sure we mention our social medias and where to find us. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. At Facebook, it's at the Lesbian Frank Video Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the LBF Podcast. And also you can listen to us on Google Podcast and Apple Podcast and Spotify. So uh, that'll do it here, Coach. Uh, who do we have next week? We have a Coach Mark Bonis, the head football coach at Brother Martin High School uh, next week. And, guys, please say your prayers and and, and, and let's pray for our, our world and thank the, thank the Lord for that we are able to, to be part of this great game of football. Thank you, Coach, and for Justin Thomas, for Coach Frank Monica, I'm Jason Duay, and remember, let's lay ball on turn and lay a little good time, Joel.